Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang. On this podcast, I'll be introducing you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to inspire you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. Amazing. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Winter Circle. And um, it's I'm a bit emotional as we start this episode. I learned this week... <clears throat> That um, my former co-host and mo- most importantly, my former partner, Bianca Leger, she has left us um, on this reality plane. And I just want to take a moment um, of silence and stillness just to acknowledge her light and her very beautiful being. I loved her with my everything and I know so many people has and I, I hope she knows that and where she is now I hope she's in peace and at rest and happy and dancing so let's just take a moment to acknowledge Bianca and to send our love and gratitude her way Okay, but I know she would be want the show to go on. And on today's episode, I interview a certified tantra and meditation coach, a teacher with extensive training in energy and esoteric healing, a conscious entrepreneur, an advocate for holistic well-being, and founder of Third Eye Cacao, as well as Third Eye Meditation Lounge and Elixir Bar. Welcome to the Winter Circle. Neil Ryan Demra. Hello, Derek. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for sharing your vulnerability and your story and, and the love you had for your previous partner, and, and I appreciate you being completely who you are. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Well, the goal of these conversations is really to uplift, inspire, and empower everyone <laughs> to move forward with greater faith and belief in themselves on their hero's journey ahead. And um, the vibe I'm trying to cultivate in all these conversations is a positive one. And this first question sets us up as such. What do you love right now about your personal world, Neil? Not about the external world, but what do you love about your personal world? What excites you about your life today? What excites me most is knowing that the last – the last decade, I've dedicated the, the time, energy, and effort to work through a lot of my karmas. And, and now, internally, both physically, mentally, spiritually, and soulfully, I feel like I'm entering more of a dharmic part of my life. And that feels really good. feels really graceful. feels really comfortable. Um, There's definitely challenges. However, I feel like I have more courage and experience, as well as desire to overcome those challenges. Um with this, with this newfound uh, sense of safety as well as um, proven success in some ways. So I, I have more faith, and it feels good to have that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, I listed so many titles um, that you hold, so many roles um, that you play, and beyond that, there's, there's more. Um, and for us to get a better idea of who you are, 
what would you say is your personal mission, Neil, that guides you in all those roles I listed and the roles beyond the said? Yeah, it's uh for me, it's the dichotomy between the 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 nature world and the the heavily uh, manufactured world. And so, what I'm doing a lot of times is creating that middle space, that third space, almost you know, like third eye lounge. We call it the the, the Austin's living room. It's a place where people and um, you know communities and connections can have this experience of the quantum. And what I talk about when I say the quantum, it means that your body, your mind, your spirit, your your inner story has an ability to heal faster than the speed of light. So whatever it is that's causing you to feel uncomfortable, when you're in these spaces, within your community, within the connection, you're able to transcend the limiting beliefs, the limiting thoughts, the limiting feelings into something what I call uh, the oneness state. And what my desire is to create more spaces in the world where we can integrate, where we can have a place where people can interact and feel the comfort of love, the comfort of oxytocin, connection, and also the ability to move forward. There's always a path forward, and we're always looking for that as humans. And so my desire um, is is more so to is is to create those spaces and teach people how to do it too. You know, I'm not one person to to be here materializing on all of it. More so to be able to just share and create um, sustainability within it. Mm -hmm. That sounds so beautiful, and I'm very curious to delve into the origin story on how you got to this space. Um, how did you call this upon your now? Yeah, so uh, growing up, my my the lounge is actually a representation of my grandparents' apartment. You know, we all uh, had houses and places, my uncles, aunts, cousins. However, my grandparents' tiny apartment um, was so so intentional from the food to the the elixirs, to the the sounds, to the garden, to the actual location in itself and how everything was presented. Uh, it had a feng shui and a feeling of hominess that made people release their layers of compensation. So they would come into someone else's home and feel like home because of how comfortable they felt. And I started to pick up on this. It wasn't the, the beautiful mansions that were occupied by my family members. It was my grandparents' home that was consistently filled with so much love. And that's what I decided to, to create more of, just represent that same kind of energetic. Mm -hmm. So tell me about um, the Third Eye Meditation Lounge in Elixir Bar. What is that space? What what could people expect when they enter that? Um... Exactly. Yeah. Did they, this is actually the, the feeling of releasing expectations. It's the feeling of releasing expectations. Mm -hmm. When you walk in, you have this feeling of, of lightness where you don't know what to expect. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know what you're going to see. And it's almost like a mystery. It's like when I think about Willy Wonka and this chocolate factory, you know, there's this, this chocolate, right? But beyond the chocolate, it's the energy, the passion, the creation, this desire for our childlike space to feel alive again. And, and that's the desire when you walk in, you have, we have all these different yoga classes and breath work and somatic and all these different ways in which you can embody your body. And then we have this whole array of tools for coherence that help you connect with your heart, with your dualistic mind, releasing some of that, and then getting in clearing your, your gut stuff. So you can actually get into your roots 
and work on your ancestral stuff. And at the end of the day, you become more and more rooted in developing more vagal tone. And the more vagal tone we mm -hmm. become, the more resilient we become, the more happy we become, the more we're pouring out oxytocin versus whatever else. And so mm -hmm. that's what it is. You, you don't know what you're coming for, but we're coming for the same thing, which is community. And everything comes back to that, you know, that, that idea where we can grow and evolve among people. We need those reflections. So that's what mm -hmm. third eye is. It's a place. And any anything that is considered a third uh, space is considered to me in my mind, it's another third eye lounge. You know, it's another mm -hmm. place where you can tap into that oneness to see and release um, anything that's not of unification. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have this vision in your mind's eye. Um, but so often people have these ideas, these dreams, and they don't manifest. How did you manifest this dream, this vision into reality? What were the steps you took um, to actualize it? I took the same thing from one thing in my life that I got good at, and I just applied it to another. So when I was a child, um, I, I danced like Michael Jackson. I had a business around it. So I practiced like dancing all the time. From there, I, I started playing table tennis. I played professional table tennis as a child. Took the table tennis to tennis. Took the tennis to pickleball. And what it is is just going out and playing consistently. Mm -hmm. Finding a container to play and then actualize some of the gifts. So it's like I just took that and applied it to something else. So for me, I did 10 years of yoga every day, three times a day. So before I opened up a center, I wanted to make sure this is the thing I can actually step behind and stand behind and believe in. And it's just mm. one door opening another and applying the same kind of um, work ethic and then changing it from a work ethic to a play ethic, realizing if I can actually have fun doing the things I enjoy and, and I can make money doing it, life can become pretty fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one of my favorite authors, Stephen Pressfield, he describes resistance as that negative force in the world that keeps us from fulfilling our dreams. And it's some things that rears its head every day, every step along the way. Um, what have you learned about overcoming that resistance, that, that thing telling you not to get out of bed or to not get on your yoga mat or to not um, call and make cold call for that business meeting or et cetera, et cetera? How have you learned to overcome resistance? Yeah, so the way I see it is if the resistance becomes something that may be necessity, so there's like a there's a there's an amount of resistance that I look at. And it's like every rejection is a is a choice and chance for redirection. So if the resistance is so great that it's not for me to overcome, then I acknowledge that fact and move on. But if it's something there to actually help me overcome. It's like a guitar. If it has too little tension, it's not going to play right. Too much tension, it's not going to play right. It has to have the right amount where it's both realistic and it's not coming from an egoic space. So the way I think of the ego is I, it stands for everything gets organized so spirit can take over. And when you're from the spirit, you're speaking in the universal code. So when you and I verse universe, then it's actually bringing light to the conversation of whatever the insecurity is. And then it's no longer an insecurity. It plays out as an out security and the universe can actually clean it up itself, whether it's supposed mm -hmm. to be of the highest good of the spirit or not. And life is always doing that cleaning up process, whether we like it or not. And if it's not happening on our timeline, that's just our ego saying that, but the universe knows 
the spirit is always going to do the thing based on the universal timeline. And it's about us as humans to be able to follow and attune to that. I think this is my personal belief. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, curious to delve deeper into, um, into your process. And another thing that gets in the way of the process is fear. Um, how has fear reared its head on your journey and what have you learned about fear? I think fear is something that we need just a little bit of it. Like if we're not a little vigilant, then we can lose some of the skills that allow us to survive. But if we're hypervigilant, we can mess up our nervous system and no longer find the safety. Mm-hmm. So it's like also having that a right amount of fear, but not allowing fear to take the wheel. So it's good to have a little bit of fear. If you're fearless, you're going to get your ass beat by the world. But if you're, you're fearful, then you won't even touch the world. You won't even be met or you won't be able to meet people. So it's about having that right dance with life. You know, it's, it's like knowing when you can hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, no one to run. And having yeah. that ability is, is what it is to be attuned and having that awareness. It's really important, I think, in, in all aspects, entrepreneur, anything. You need to have that. It's part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When was a recent example or any example of when fear reared its head? How did you face it and how did you overcome it? Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of negotiations, business dealings. I've been actually developing my competitive edge. And it was in that process that I had to learn that nobody's going to take care of me. No one's going to take care of my brand, my process, my intellectual property. I had to do that myself. I had to get smart with with those informations in order to protect the thing I love the most. And a lot of times I would get fearful around it because in my ancestry, businesses was taken away from us and all sorts of crazy things. And I used to fear all this stuff. And instead of projecting that onto the, the dynamics that were showing themselves, I would find as much clarity so my fear would not be there. I would get lawyers, I'd get the right people to look at the documents and face the fear. To, to make sure I wasn't repeating the fearful thing that was causing me to fear in the first place. And facing it is the only way you can relate to it. And then when you relate to it enough, it's like when you do something enough that was fearful, it's no longer a fearful thing. Mm-hmm. We inoculate ourselves to fear that, that, that thing that was once a lion is now just a mere pussycat. Yep. Yep. Um, these conversations are called Welcome to the Winner Circle. What does it mean to be a winner to you? What does winning look like for you in your life? Yeah, so for me, it's it's about winning with integrity. Like, I don't care about winning or beating somebody else. That doesn't mean anything to me. It's more so if I'm winning within me and I'm I'm feeling that feeling of winning. And winning is is like to be completely embodied and coherent. I can't I can't enjoy winning if if I'm if it's not really truly winning and it feels good. So like it, it's got to have this essence of integrity. It has this has, has to have this essence of embodiment. That to me is like and I and I always go back to sports because um, that's when I feel the most alive is when I'm playing sports. But I can't win and beat somebody and and think I'm winning if I'm not playing with my all. I got to be fully in it. Otherwise, it's nothing to me. The score doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
in order to be fully in, we have to be attending to our self-care um, in all aspects of that, our physical or mental or emotional or spiritual. What have been your foundational self-care tools that help you go all in? Yeah, so I do a lot of the, the cold plunge stuff. I do sauna. I do the methylene blue. I do NAD. I drink lots of ceremonial cacao. Um, I do breath work. I play lots of tennis and pickleball, table tennis. I keep active. Um, I also go to the hot springs and I do a lot of chelation through the water. Um, I swim. I think being active is one of the most important things in this human body. And having the right amount, not pushing yourself too much, but also being able to receive touch, massage, um, you know, all the different ways you can do fascia release, um, you know, ways you can help clear any kind of debris that our body carries in our epidermis. So, you know, all the different things, gua sha, um, I do all of it. So I think all of it's important, especially if you're living in a city, you're not immersed in a nature place. If you're going to be in the hustle and bustle of doing this work, you got to be able to clear your vessel continuously. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah. And while we're doing, um, one thing you mentioned is not doing too hard, not doing too much. How do you find that balance? Honestly, I don't know if I do. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Um, and it's, it's when I don't, my body will automatically start to slow down. So it's, it's not even a thing I can mess with. You know, I, I listen to my body. And it's always got the check engine light telling me the, the things I need to be doing. And, and I spend a lot of time making sure that I listen. And mm -hmm. if I'm doing that right, then I don't necessarily have to do much. You know? Yeah, you're, you're, you're sure are right about how uh, if we don't listen, the body responds and that check engine light will go on. Hence my hot pack on my back right now. Like I have extreme tension in my rhomboids um, from overdoing. Um so when you're so when we when you get that signal that that overdoing signal how do you switch how do you switch into the being what does your being practice look like my being practice looks like contacting uh the people who are also in that same situation and, and doing co-healings going in group situations um i also just you know i have different tools i have a lymphatic drainage tool I have uh, an opus sound bed, which takes me into meditations. Um, I do a lot of like um, calisthenic work and I do yoga and, and just things like that. And I just get into the body, take the time to get into the body and feel the body. And if I need hydration, I take care of my salt intake, but usually it's just getting the body to get back into flow. And as soon as I get that time, you know, uh, my body knows how to, to catch, catch back onto rhythm quickly. So, yeah, um, yoga is something I'm extremely passionate about. And I feel like we've lost what yoga truly is, especially in on Turtle Island, the North America. Um, it is really all about like the postures, the asanas, um, the posing, um, the trying, whereas like the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, there's 196 aphorisms and only two of them pertain to the physical postures. Um, out of the eight limbs of yoga, only one is the asana. I feel we're neglecting the yamas, the niyamas, the pranayama, the tuning out of the external world, the going into the inside, concentrating within, the meditation, and then the the eighth limb, um, samadhi, our recognition of the oneness of us all, our 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 connection with the divine. 
Um, what does your practice, yoga practice look like, Neil? And how has that evolved? Yes. So more so, I don't do a ton of the, the body yoga, the traditional yoga. I do more of a meditation um, or I do energy locks and I do a lot of chanting. So now, so now more so I will, um, you know, I don't need to do a lot of the yoga that most, most people are, are generally needing to do because I've done a lot of that physical stuff where my body feels very flexible and everything. It's more so um, being able to clear the vessel every day through sound vibration and, and just like making sure that my, my inner chi uh, is, is circulating through my Kundalini and my sacrum and, and I can do certain things to get into that. So I have the Cobra breath that I do. Um, I do chanting. Um, and then I will do like some inversions and some yoga uh, as well. But um, it's not like you'll be seeing me do hours and hours of yoga. Um, I'll do yoga like that maybe once a week if needed. And I do a lot of yin practices now. I'm, I'm almost 40 years old and um, I enjoy, you know, allowing my, my circadian rhythm to slow down at night. And just really get into that beautiful, juicy, slow down state. So, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned clearing and you talked about clearing earlier, clearing karma in particular. Can you elaborate on first, what is karma and how have you cleared that and how does that process look like? Yeah. So for me, it's, it's, it's a lot of times dichotomy, storylines and processes in which relationships are taking mm -hmm. place, whether it's like how you were brought up or past life stuff, or just certain ways in which you may be interacting. And the karmic patterns will obviously show itself over time. So how you interact with people, how you interact with yourself, it's kind of like um, working with those reactive and repressive natures enough so that you can see the gifts from why you had to be that, why you chose that uh, relationship or personality dichotomy. So everything has uh, basically a, a reason. And when you look at it from that perspective, you can transcend it into the gift and eventually the essence. And the essence is always teaching us why that light brought us light. Mm -hmm. So um, you're, go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. And so I always think of it like that in a sense, like um, even the most, even the most terrible shadows have a gift and, and, a, and a beautiful essence to it. And it's, and it's, it's kind of, we need to go through that in order to see the why. Okay. So and your shadows. That's kind of how I see. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So your shadows, when, how did you identify them? And once identified, once awareness brought on to them, then what? Then it was, it was more so doing some of the inner child healing, being able to work with some of the, the parts that maybe were abandoned or stuck in uh, trauma responses. So being able to work on on the somatics, uh, do some cathartic release, ways to get into the soma, and and learning how the body was keeping the score in some ways, and, mm -hmm. and releasing some of the the allostatic loads that the body was carrying. And um, mm -hmm. as we do that, then all of a sudden the thing that was in the micro problem. You know, that becomes, you see it from the macro and you, it no longer holds the same power or the same trauma. Mm -hmm. You're no longer stuck in the same nervous system state, which causes disease, depression, uh, disassociation, all sorts of stuff.
So how did you heal this inner child? Did you do this by yourself? Did you seek a therapist? Like, where does one begin? I've, I, I have sought many therapists, many people. Uh, I've done lots of trainings. And I can tell you this. One door opened another. And it's not one teacher that taught me everything. It's just learning this information gives you an, an, a lens in order to learn how to process the whatever it is that you're holding on to. So, you know, each person is going to resonate with trauma healing in a different way. And, and so for me, one thing taught me one thing and I worked through it. Another thing taught me another thing and worked through it. And I'm not completely, no one's, we're always healing. That's the way I see it. And there's no, there's no completion to this project that is me. So I'm, I'm still working through it. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. For yeah. someone curious to delve into this, what's one thread that they could pull upon? Uh, yeah, I would look into, um, if you're working on trauma, I would work on, the, the thing that got me going on it was tremor release exercises. So that helps uh, kind of work on the, some of the tension in the psoas. And then from there, I learned about trauma and somatics. And then I learned about the triple vagal method, which is learning about applied polyvagal. So that kind of stuff helps you uh, ignite the, the energy that's that's stored in the, in the vagal nerves and help clear some of the energetics that are no longer serving the body. Mm -hmm. Another thing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Another yeah. thing that you um, we were talking about pre-call that you're mm -hmm. really passionate about right now is relation shapes. Not yes. relationships, but relationships. What what is that? Yeah, so you know, every day we're gonna meet people, always. And there's different levels of intimacy that we create. Some some are relationships that pass, like in the sea. Some are relationships that create something bigger than just the two people in the container. It actually brings light to people not only in the container but outside of the container. Actually, can transit. Uh, it can transit the potency that it cannot express, and so that's what I'm talking about: is having those depth and relationships that have this ability to transcend this lifetime and give us so much more than what we look for in relationships. It, it's it's beyond the feeling or the thought with people that. Um, Feels like love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Feels like love. Um, what have you learned about love? What does that mean to you? So love to me, there's different, uh, like I think I would say levels of love and there's different types of love. Like we have a love that we have from our parents. We have a love that we have from romantic partners for our own children. Uh, for friends. And I think that all of them have different purposes and it teaches us about archetypal ways we relate. And I think that um, we all are made of love and it's only in the distortion that the symptom comes out as something else. But I feel like everything is love and it's only in the distortion that we get to receive it as something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's my opinion. Yeah. 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 Thank you. So back to uh, relationships and relationships, I'm curious to delve a bit deeper into that subject. It's particularly of um, interest of me yeah. right now, going through a significant loss. What have you learned about loss in relationships? 
Yeah. So I've had um, nine year relationships. I've had four year relationships and I've had shorter ones too. And I realized love, even when you're no longer with somebody, you can still love that person. And that just shows a capacity to love. Some people believe, oh, you can only love one person or you're no longer with them and that love. And I don't believe that. I believe love is something that if we can have a heart, then we can have it full of love. And we don't necessarily have to be in love with somebody to love them. We can still have love for them. Mm. And that's the capacity to love. It's like I can love actually be having relationships. In fact, love has no boundaries. It teaches you that. So I can love Derek. I can love loving Derek every day. Then it depends on how our love is. But I still love and I'll always love. Mm-hmm. And so that love is is that container and also that energetic that I create with people that keeps my heart clean always. Mm-hmm. And um, that, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. And that transcends physical plane, right? So if someone has left our our dimension here, that does not stop our capacity to love. It's always there. In fact. Mm-hmm. When someone leaves a dimension, the love gets even more imprinted in a way that transcends what we think of love. How so? Because we understand the finite body and how our soul still can feel the love without the body. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Um, also, also um, in in alignment with this this topic of love comes compassion and forgiveness let's talk about each and their part in this picture yes so compassion to me is the, is like the antithesis to empathy it's like empathy sometimes can be uh contraindicative to helping others that's what, uh the people you love especially yourself and then also um, helps you tap into the word to for and give. So before we, mm-hmm. we before we even forgive somebody, we have to understand what it means. And it's all about energy. When we're forgiving, we're no longer holding the giving and receiving of love. It's that that transaction of love goes away when we're in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And there is no transaction of of love that's not even real that's why forgiveness has to be there in love can't have one without the other you can't. it's like a symbiotic relationship too if we don't have the ability to forgive then it's not loving so love in itself without the doing an act of it if we're holding pain shame anything negative in the value of an equation of love, then it's not even love. That's why forgiveness is a, is a part of the dichotomy of love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's a two-way street. It's forgiveness to another, but also of oneself. Yes. 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 And what have you learned about that second part, the forgiveness of oneself? 
Yeah, it's um, it's I think a man's hardest duty to do that and take the time to do that. I think a lot of times we want to forgive everybody except ourselves. And I, I'm always doing this. I'm trying to create, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm actively and intentionally allowing forgiveness to be a part of my story too. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, it actively, intentionally puts forgiveness in all my other relationships too mm-hmm. and it starts I can't go outside and start forgiving everybody and then hopefully there's enough to forgive me later it just doesn't work that way take that within this and practice it with others and then it comes mm-hmm. back in that way mm-hmm. I love that I love that dichotomy of having to do a little bit with yourself, then go out and do it with others, then go back in and do it more with yourself, and go do it else with others. That's the practice. <laughs> Otherwise, these are just mind words. Um, so much wisdom shared already, Neil, and I'm really grateful for everything and your generosity with your wisdom. Yeah. Um, a lot of this wisdom shared you've learned from (laughs) a lot of this wisdom you're sharing is, um, things taught to you by various mentors and helpers you've met along your hero's journey who let's acknowledge some of these people who have been these individuals that have helped you. Um, of course there's many, so let's just name a few who were they and what were your primary takeaways you learned from them that you've now incorporated into your being who you are? Yeah. Uh, well, my father, for sure, he's been a big, you know, um, person in my life. Uh, we had a lot of issues, but then also a lot of love, and he was a great teacher. Um, and then and this guy who owns Casa de Luz, who's the person running it, he doesn't, he'll never say that he's the owner of Casa de Luz, but he's been a, a person running this place for 36 years, and he's been a mentor for me. Uh, his name is Wayo Eduardo Longoria. Um, love mm-hmm. that man and also trust him and experience a lot where he taught me uh, how to value myself truly. And it was, it was a great experience. Um, aside from that, there's a man named Bart Sharp, who is a mentor and teacher, taught me how to release a lot of dualistic thinking and, and be able to work on some of the, the clearing work that I've been doing. Uh, there's a lot of people that, there's a guy named Jeff Brown, who I love his, his writing. Um, he's a, he's a great writer and he's been teaching me a lot about how to elo- bring eloquence to my feelings and to my words. Um, and I really truly believe that power in writing and being able to So let's, uh, let's so, kind of, those are the few that I can, I can put together right now. Yeah, sorry, yeah. you're just cut, cutting out a little bit there. Um, sorry for interrupting. Um, I was just wanting you to kind of delve a little bit deeper into two of these subjects. First, um, what did you learn about how to value yourself? How? How did I start to do that? What did you learn about that? And how, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what I learned is, is um, no one's going to do that for you. No one's going to put value to you. So if you don't do it, then there will be no value there. 
And that don't, that you only get to learn that through uh, experience, and also, it's a form of slavery to go through that. And everybody has experienced some of that, whether it's past life, this life, and and the more you start to to take the chains off yourself, the more you start to find the freedom and an expression of who and what you're about. And that requires reflection, um, and it's a beautiful. It's like a, a warrior becoming de-armored and fully confident in de-armoring. And, and that's, that's, that's the shedding of all the layers. Um, and in that process, you start to find value. Um, because all the shit that, that is not you gets, gets rinsed off. And then, hello. And what, what is left is value. And, and, and it's up to you to give yourself that. No one's going to do that for you. Yes. Real gift. And how about mm -hmm. your releasing of dualistic thinking? What is that and what does that look like? Yeah. So when I think about dualistic thinking, it's like the good, bad, right, wrong, the judge. It's almost like the shark. The, the thing mm -hmm. that someone's looking for that could be mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. um, it's like when you can release that, you can mm -hmm. find more flow and learn how to be more compassionate. And mm -hmm. it's good to have the ability to see between right and wrong and good and bad. But if mm -hmm. that's your only way of seeing, it can be very limiting for your happiness, for your heart, for your joy, for your connection. Nobody really wants to be around a judge all the time. And that's mm -hmm. just it. Mm -hmm. So how does one see, see beyond that? There's ways. You actually, there's tools. There's all these different tools. So as soon as something comes up in your being, you can actually look at it, feel it, and allow it to be burned through the digestive fire. And we can do that through somatics and energetics and words. So if something comes up, you can actually do a conscious clearing around that, that feeling that comes up. And it's only you... Because something in your psyche, you start bringing it up enough to see and hope to work. Yeah. So um, every episode, I close with the final three questions, and we're at this point. The first question. Through all the highs and lows that is your hero's journey, Neil, what has been the greatest life lesson you've learned on your path that you feel called in this very moment to share with us? Yes. Um, one of the biggest life lessons is in the world we live in, it's so much more abundant than the perception of, of the lack because we're not in lack. And so anytime you feel that way, just go out in nature and see it and feel it and experience it. If I can remember that and I can remember if I could have learned that a long time ago and remembered that, that would have been huge. Mm -hmm. So as an entrepreneur, if you're stuck on a computer, you're doing too much, just go into nature. It's the biggest mm -hmm. cure. Mm -hmm. That's one. Two, um, I would I would always recommend to have people around you that can reflect well, that can help you show you yourself. People you can trust that can give you the mirror and help you cut your shit quicker than you can yourself. 
Mm-hmm. So having good good mentors and reflection around, I think that's super important. Thank you. Um, in three words, how would you describe the experience you were having on this earth? And you could elaborate on these three words if you wish. Three words that help me experience. Yeah, three words. They could be three separate words that just describe the reality you're experiencing on this earth. Yes. Okay. One. Uh, integrative. And the third one would be um, rooted. Integrative, rooted, and your connection is coming in and out. So I did not hear the first one. Integrative, rooted. And what was um, the first, first one? one was quantum. Okay. Let's delve into those. Why quantum? Why integrative? And why rooted? Okay. So quantum, it's like when you're in the quantum, this is how I perceive the quantum. It's like our mind and the dualistic thing that's trying to fix things or see things. Mm-hmm. You don't need that in the quantum. In the quantum, mm-hmm. everything happens faster than the speed of light. Mm-hmm. So there's no right or wrong in that in that field. The field is all of light. And mm-hmm. when we're experiencing that, it happens so quickly. You don't need to question it. There's no question. It's just the answer. Mm-hmm. So that's the quantum. Integrative yeah. is is all about as we do this work as we go through levels and without the integration there's in out and the only way it gets in and it gets to sit in is when it gets integrated so that's mm-hmm. why it's super important that we actually understand whatever it is we're learning mm-hmm. to stand under <laughs> and then the last one what was the last word rooted rooted so my whole philosophy is if you're going to, to rise, you must root down. The only way to rise up is if you root down. And I'm a tennis player, and every time I'm about to receive the ball, I'm just grinding my feet into the ground, feeling the ground as much as I possibly can so I can jump up and get that ball. And it's mm-hmm. in that feeling, that, that encompassing feeling of being so close to the ground that I feel that connection. Mm-hmm. So I love that feeling of rooting down to rise up. I think it's super important. Mm-hmm. How does one root in the everyday life other than on the tennis field? It's just about doing the body work. It's about getting on the yoga mat. It's about going into nature. It's about doing whatever the heck it is that makes you feel grounded. Whatever it is. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. Your ritual could be different than Neil's. However, it's, it's, it's yours. And when you make it yours and you own it, that's it. Mm-hmm. Final question. Um, we've played around with time. We've examined the past. We've examined your present. Let's jump into the future. Let's transport ourselves to a time a bit far away from now, um, maybe 45 or so years away. And we're going to be alongside an 85-year-old um, Neil, Ryan, Demra. Who is that 85-year-old man? Where are you? Who are you surrounded by? What is the legacy you left here in your 85 years? And what are the predominant feelings in your being? Mm. 
I would have hoped to have accomplished all my, my goals with the, the businesses. I would have hoped to have had a family and have a family, a wife, kids, grandkids. I'd hope to be living in potentially in a warm, beautiful place somewhere in India, potentially, or, or traveling still. Um, and hopefully still drinking cacao and, and also still playing the sports and doing the fun things that I'm doing. So not too much different other than accomplishing some of the family goals and some of the business stuff. The legacy, I feel like I've already achieved everything I've ever wanted to in terms of my legacy. I love who I am. I love how I show up. And only so I'd love to be able to show up with more of that essence, more of that love, more of that connection. So being able to dive deeper into myself and become more embodied, that's the goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the predominant feelings in your being, in your soul? Uh, I would say it would be uh, fulfillment. Mm -hmm. I would just like to invite you just to um, lean into that that place of fulfillment. Maybe close your eyes and breathe into it and just really embody that state of being fulfilled so immensely as an 85-year-old and just reflect upon the impact you've left on so many and accomplished all these goals, lean into that, feel into that, embody that. And I'm going to bring you back to now, to today. And that 85-year-old man, he whispers in your ear uh, a piece of wisdom. What does that 85-year-old Neil say to you? Enjoy the ride. <laughs> You're doing it. We're doing it. It's been such an honor. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you and get to know a bit more of your story. And I, I hope it um, has fulfilled this goal of inspiring, uplifting, and empowering um, someone along the way. I know it has me and maybe you as well. To close yes. every episode, we bring our fist in for a digital fist bump into the winner circle. Boom. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. It was so good to chat with you. Absolutely. And if people want to connect with you, they can find you on Instagram at Neil Ryan Dumra, And that links to all your businesses, all the things you've got going on. Anywhere yep. else you could send them or any last closing words. If you need some of the best ceremonial cacao, go to thirdeyecacao.com. If you want coaching, I also do that, thirdeyetonic.com. So much mm -hmm. love and would love to see you at Third Eye in Austin, Texas. We're here right here there's a studio people are going into classes as we speak and yeah thanks so much Derek so good thank to talk you so to you. thank you yeah. so much and thank you Bianca Leger um may she be in peace whoever she's yeah. listening to this um thank you thank you rest thank you peace. rest in peace yeah. I love you thank you have a good one brother should I did you stop recording